The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, joining me this morning is Dr. Lori Shemek. She's author of How to Fight Fat Formation, a revolutionary three-week program to shrink the body, body's fat cells for quick and lasting weight loss. Lori's a Ph.D., She's a leading researcher in fat cells and the owner of DLS HealthWorks, which is a company she created to help men and women women conquer their issues with weight and self-esteem. She has been featured on ABC, CNN, NPR, Fox News. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Lori. Thank you so much, Catherine, for having me. It's an honor. Well, great to have you here. Um, you are a what have been described as a leading voice in health, nutrition, and fat cell research. And uh, I guess your theory is that we can't lose weight by just cutting calories. It's not necessarily calories in, calories out, which is what I've always done, but you have to restore your body's fat cells to their natural state, and that's how we lose weight? Absolutely. That's (laughs) absolutely correct. Yes, because, you know, the calories in, calories out is a myth. It's based on old science that we've been actually using since the 50s. And there is credence to that in that obviously if we sit around and we eat 4,000 calories a day, we will gain weight. And the same is true as if we don't have enough calories, we will lose weight. However, most people aren't that drastic in their eating choices, okay, in the way they, the amount of food that they're eating. So for the average person who tries very Uh, desperately, in fact, to lose weight, they are taking in foods that really aren't that healthy for them, for one, thinking that it will promote weight loss. They're cutting back on their calories. And when you do this, it has a metabolic effect that slows down the metabolism. So you can look at something like artificial sweeteners, for example, diet sodas will take people experience this over and over again. They're, they're cutting their calories, they're drinking artificial, you know, the diet sodas, but they're still gaining weight. They're still overweight. And the, there's a, a lot of research showing now that artificial sweeteners actually put on weight. It promotes fat storage, it encourages hunger and cravings, and there you have it. You have a product that has zero calories, but its effect upon the body is really... Uh, remarkable. In so, in terms other words, you're saying, I just want to stop you there because you're mm-hmm. saying, um, Lloyd, that in other words, the quality of the calories that you're eating, like it's like zero calories, let's say artificial sweetener, is going to cause you perhaps to gain weight, and that's different than eating let's, an apple. Like, or, yes, that is accurate. And so, for example, I was on a show about a month ago. And the host, uh, a well-known host out there, who decided to create his own experiment, he chose to eat 4,000 calories a day of vegetables, which I find really unappealing. (laughs) But he did it. Terrible. 4,000 calories, okay? And he didn't gain an ounce. And so it it shows you the difference between uh, calories the quality, as you mentioned, of calories versus the amount of food you're taking in, the amount of calories. The phytonutrients within food, the enzymes the, um, and the, the fiber, for example, all help to create a metabolic effect that produces weight loss. The foods that the standard American diet incorporates does, usually doesn't have any of this. They're, it's virtually void of micronutrients. So what we have is a nation of people who are walking around literally malnourished 
even though they're essentially overfed and um, undernourished. Well, how does that work for those of us who, let's say, are a normal weight? I'll take myself, for instance, mm-hmm. and I, um, in a few days I have to go to, I'm going to a big reunion. So I wanted to lose three pounds to be as thin as I was in high school or in boarding school, this is. Did you say three? Three. And I can't seem to lose the three because I want to be the set. You know, I went to, this is a boarding school reunion, big reunion. Right. I don't think anybody else cares if I'm three pounds thinner, but somehow <laughs> I do for some ungodly that. reason. Um, but I can't lose it. And I'm eating those good things, the apple, and you talk about eating, well, you talk about a balance between the good fats and the bad fats. So maybe right. I'm not doing that. Um, but I don't eat any of those artificial sweeteners or any of the, you know, the stuff that you described, the bad stuff. But I still can't. But I'm doing calories. It's still, you know, calories in, calories out. Mm-hmm. So to help me, what could I have done? It's too late now. Well, but. The specific foods. Now, if you take, for example, uh, fish oil, fish oil, or uh, any food high in omega threes, including meat that's high, grass fed meats that are high in omega threes, wild rice, for example, or spinach, people don't realize are high in omega threes. I like to recommend, if you can. Uh, ingest fish oil to do that because fish oil actually saturates the fat cell within, reverses the inflammation within the fat cell, and begins to create a healthy fat cell that begins to release fat, okay? Healthy fat cells do that. Um, So, for example, blueberries. Blueberries are excellent because they target the fat cell, they they reverse the inflammation within, and especially belly fat, begin to allow it to, um, re- the cells to release fat. So what we I have... I bought two is, boxes. I want you to know I bought two boxes of blueberries, but I only you? have two That's days. Great. But I and only go so days. fast. <laughs> they're like candy <laughs> exactly. if they're good. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, foods such as fish, you know, that are high in omega-3s, uh, resveratrol that you get... Um, from food will uh, help to do the same thing. And spices like turmeric target belly fat. Belly fat, in fact, is the most dangerous fat, especially if uh, you have a, a, a measurement over 35 if you're a woman or 40 for a man. Really important to start getting that belly fat down. But what we have going on is the core cause of weight gain, and that's why my book, How to Fight Fat Flammation, um, deals with it. It talks about fat cells. We used to think fat was just this inert, jiggly mass, okay, that didn't have a mind of its own, if you will. It just sat there and looked ugly to mm-hmm. us. Or it but does have that, a mind of its own. It won't. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. And uh, but we now know it's an active, viable, alive organ that's sending messages out, messages that either promote weight loss or encourage weight gain. And so it's the you can look at a a fat cell. It's we have billions of them, about seventy five billion of them, and each cell is emitting a low level of inflammatory molecules. And you can look at it like a little factory, okay, spewing out these inflammatory molecules that has a metabolic effect that slows down the metabolism. And when this happens, you put on weight and it becomes, again, you have more of these inflammatory molecules because the fat cell is getting bigger, it's stretching out and getting larger, producing more of these inflammatory molecules. Does that happen and then as you it age, becomes a vicious Lori? Cycle. Like when you, I just want to mm-hmm. stop you a minute. Like as, during the aging process, I mean, does it get worse? Do you get these inflammatory, those billions of fat cells? Do they keep getting more inflamed as you get older? Because and and then uh, as the yeah. fat cell gets larger, yes. So yeah. if you're if the fat cell isn't growing, isn't enlarging. Um, you you're still producing inflammatory molecules, but not it's not it's not um, continuous. It's not producing as you go on in life. Okay, if you stay at a consistent set point, say for example, you're still producing these inflammatory molecules. And what happens down the road, obviously, are health conditions like diabetes or any inflammatory condition will. Um, Will happen, can happen rather down the road. So, inflammation really is an immune response. 
and we have something called acute inflammation, which we've all are aware of. It's important, keeps us alive, and it helps us heal. So if we get a cut, for example, we have, uh, let's call them soldiers that rush to the site. They, they heal it, they repair it, and then they go away. When you get that cut, you have an enormous amount of these inflammatory molecules that are emitted, but only for a short time. Once the cut is healed, it's over, done. With silent inflammation, that may lead to heart disease. Let's take the arterial wall, for example, where silent inflammation may be setting up. You have a very low level of these inflammatory molecules that are being emitted. And uh, the problem is, and its very name suggests trouble, silent, is that we don't feel it necessarily. So it's a, it's an, it's a cumulative problem that happens down the road, and uh, we're aware of it once symptoms occur. And so here we have something, silent inflammation, that's with you 24-7 until we do something about it, right? You, and that's typically after symptoms appear. The third type of inflammation that I like, uh, that I talk about and uh, named was, is fatflammation. Our fat cells it's, are, really emit these low levels of inflammatory molecules. Just like silent inflammation, it's silent inflammation of the fat cell. And this is the core cause of weight gain. Okay, and you talk about, just want to be specific because, mm-hmm. you know, for our listeners, because fat formation four, you refer to those, the fat formation four, which sugar, refined grains, high fructose, corn syrup, and artificial sweeteners, you mentioned that before. Those are bad, bad. They, those cause right. inflammation, not good, right? So right, absolutely. So we want to eliminate those from our diet, I assume. Right, and, you know, there's a lot more that, that it's not just one thing. So uh, I want your listeners to be aware that it's, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's, if you're ingesting sugar, for example, and you, you eliminate the sugar from your diet, you will lose weight because you're reversing that fat cell inflammation. It could be something as simple as taking one thing out. So we have refined grains, we have sugars, and we have excess fruit intake that people don't realize. Fructose, the sugar fructose, is a core cause, is is a cause rather of weight gain, and uh, high fructose corn syrup is something that's in many products. It's in those little red and white soup cans. It's in ketchup. It's in salad dressings. You so really fructose, have to look when you go to the grocery store for that high fructose. Absolutely, because you, it's, you're it's, so right. Even in I think even yeah. in bread sometimes I look yeah. and I say high fructose and I'm like shocked. My gosh, I didn't think it would be there. But yeah, so you really have to be. And most guess, people don't realize that. Yes. High fructose corn syrup actually scars the liver, congests the the liver with fat, and your liver is your number one fat-burning organ. So it's really important not to ingest anything that's toxic in the body because the liver has to uh, work at uh, removing it from the body. And if it's busy doing um, that, it can't really effectively do its fat-burning job. So the more, in fact, 75% of all women have a fatty liver and do not know it. Men are included too, but not in this research. So, okay, now what do we do about it? Well, obviously that's well, all in yeah, your book. So and let's so cover some of that because you say, I mean, you a three we chronic inflammation not good for you. You get oversized fat cells and you store the fat permanently. So we don't want to do that according to you. And so we have a three three-week program, that's not too long, mm-hmm. where you mm-hmm. balance the good fats, bad fats, reduce the inflammation, and what, hopefully also lose weight at the same time? How do we do it? Yeah, what you're doing essentially with this, this three-week plan, it, the foods I've uh, put in the plan are specifically to reduce fat cell inflammation. And what I really uh, love about this is that you're not only losing weight, but you're creating optimal health as well. So it's, it's really important to know that. Uh, you can have, you know, foods that you think are going to promote weight loss, but again, we have, it's the quality of food. It isn't the amount of food, okay? So a 100-calorie cookie snack pack, for example, is metabolized vastly different than 100 calories of broccoli, like we discussed. So, um, but yes, the plan is three weeks. It incorporates certain components that are very important to 
uh, reversing fat cell inflammation, like balancing omega-3, omega-6 fats. The nation is, the, in terms of the uh, scale, tipped in favor of omega-6 fats. Both omega-3 and omega-6 are essential, but we get too many omega-6 fats in our diet. And this causes a compound called arachidonic acid to be stored so we put that, in... It, just put it like in layman's terms when we're talking omega-6 right. and so omega-3. This so compounds stored yeah. within the fat cell and along with glucose and fat, and it, become, it bloats the fat cell. Creating a so give us examples of foods of omega-3s, good fat, so and then bad fat, good, omega-6s. Okay. A good switch would be, or swap rather, would be to use, stop using canola oil. People think that's healthy and it's not. It's contributing to fat cell inflammation. Uh, get rid of the corn oil. Get rid of uh, grapeseed extract oil. Get rid of vegetable oil soy oil, all of these are high in omega-6 fat and encourage fat cell inflammation, okay? Um, use, if you can, more omega-3 foods. So what you want to do is look for grass-fed beef. Look for, like I mentioned earlier, seeds. Now, wild rice is a seed, actually, not a grain or uh, rice, actually. It is a seed high in omega-3 fats, Spinach is high in omega-3 fats. Whatever you can do, saturate your body, your cells with omega-3 because this is going to stop that inflammatory reaction that occurs within the fat cell, helping you to lose weight. And, Lori, I think another thing, though, when you try to do that, you have to change your palate because you're not used to it. I'll just give you my own example. Yeah. Uh, Because, I, I mean, I don't eat a lot of beef maybe once every two or three weeks, let's say. But then I changed or I tried to change to the grass-fed beef, and mm-hmm. it tasted, it, it seemed to it was kind of tasteless because it didn't have all that great, you know, marbly right. fat and so, stuff. So I had to kind of adapt my taste buds, I think, to being able to eat that grass-fed beef. Of course, then I started eating less beef altogether, so maybe that was good anyway. But so you kind of, you're, you know, you have to, don't you have to give yourself a break a little bit and get used to eating this way if you want to try it anyway? Because um, you kind of, I think you kind of balk, you know, people who, I mean, I eat a lot of spinach and vegetables and stuff, but people don't. You have to get used to it, I guess is what I'm saying. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, and there are things, if you don't like beef, Try fish, high in omega-3s, like salmon, for example, or Chilean sea bass, or anything that is fatty, any fish that's fatty is going to uh, really be beneficial. And if you don't like fish or you don't like beef, um, try eggs that are high in omega-3, all right? Purchase those types of eggs. And do anything you can. You know, in my book I talk about supplements you can take that encourage this. And uh, there are other ways to encourage fat cell, uh, to reverse fat cell inflammation. Your gut health is tied to your weight, all right? Your gut health is, in fact, the center of your immune system. So you really want to, and they call it your second brain, so it's also tied to your emotions. Very important to keep it healthy. And in the book, I have a chapter on it that talks about how to do that and how important it is in terms of weight loss. So, for example, every day have yogurt, but please don't have the flavored yogurts because many people believe that they're having the cultured food yogurt, which it is, uh, that, and it's very good for you in terms of your gut health and pr- um, promoting beneficial bacteria. But these Yogurts are very high in sugar, 27 grams of sugar, more than a candy bar. So people are very excited and proud that they are eating their yogurt every day when, in fact, the very food that bad bacteria, bad gut bacteria love is sugar. That's how they live and thrive. So many of the, the cravings that we get, for example, sugar and carbs, high carb, uh, you know, the processed refined carbs are the very ones that bad bacteria love and eat. So when you get that nagging craving, it's also a sign that maybe you need to start, you know, cleaning up the, uh, your digestive health. Yeah, so you're taking your sugar just in a different form. You think, wow, I'm eating yogurt, I'm doing great, but wait a minute, what does the yogurt have in it? You have to always, you really have to be diligent. 
You uh, really I, have yeah. to be, you have to be focused. And be, once you once you learn this stuff and it's not that much to to learn, it's once you know it and you know what you're looking at on products, you don't have to ever again turn a product over and look at it unless it's a new one to you. And once you start learning these things and incorporating them into your life, which doesn't take long at all, you will see a market change in creating optimal health and weight loss. Is this I can't also tell incorporated? You. I mean, are we just saying say no, say goodbye to calories? I mean, you, you, I, no, you no, 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 no. Calories. You're, you're not, not recommending calories. saying, well, okay, eat three thousand calories a day, and you're only one hundred and five pounds. Let's say one hundred and ten pounds, small woman, for instance, which is what I am. I mean, like I. I wouldn't feel well, no matter what I ate, I don't think, if I ate 3,000 calories a day. Or... No. You you know, if the only, you don't want, to, you want to be uh, smart about what you're ingesting. So that's why this three-week plan is so great, because if you don't have, it takes people by the hand, and they don't have to think about anything. And the foods are so good, and you're full. I, I hear so many, every day, people are telling me how wonderful they feel outside of the weight loss. I have a woman just yesterday told me she's lost 37 pounds in the two months she's been on the plan and has never felt better. She went through the first week of she's she was highly addicted to sugar and uh, carbohydrates. The first week, she said, was so easy. She said the first three days were a little difficult for her, but by the third day, she was fine. And that's because the foods in the in the plan actually satiate you, encourages great messages coming from the fat cells, right? Mm -hmm. That is releasing in a healthy way what it's supposed to do, stored fat. The brain's getting the message, it's had enough food. And another thing about this is you're detoxing the body. So um, by detoxing the body, you're cleaning up your liver, which again is your number one fat burning organ. And uh, it really is a plan that you can take with you for life. Yeah, and your body does speak to you. You know when you feel well and you know when you don't feel well. If you feel tired and sluggish and, you know, just not on the money, uh, you know, I mean, you can tell. If you, it, it doesn't take too much awareness. So what you're saying is you kind of automatically just start feeling good. I have to ask you, just have you yeah. ever been fat? I mean, was this the motivation for, the, for well, you have a Ph.D., uh, a researcher and a background in psychology and nutrition and all that. That's the professional part, but like personally, did have you ever, or were I, you ever? I was in my early 20s. Yeah. I was overweight in my early 20s. Uh, but my motivation came, really comes from my mother. Uh, when I was a little girl, I grew up with a mother who really wasn't well all the time. In fact, most of the memories I have of her are not of her not being well. And she was very overweight. She smoked a lot and, and more. And so most of the care of my two younger brothers was left to me as we didn't have a father. And so when she passed away at the very young age of 36, I knew and, and said to myself at that memorial service that people have choice. I knew she had other choices that she could have made. And that's what I always like to leave people with is that they do have choice. And it just comes down to realizing that, you know, it's either this or that. And if you have foods in your house or you're ingesting foods that aren't good for you or toxic in some cases, would you rather have the toxic food or would you rather have a healthy body and weight loss? So that's what it really comes down to. And my but mother, like so many yeah. people, yeah. felt that that was her lot in life, mm-hmm. and um, and it isn't. It truly is not. Well, you're talking about two things, which I find that many – I've never really heard it said quite this way – but you're ta- well, you know, it's not just you or the person, the individual who's overweight and unhealthy. Uh, you're talking about the effect on the whole family. You came, the whole family was unhealthy because your mother was not making good choices, and she was overweight and couldn't take care of herself, and smoking and drinking and overeating. So uh, that's a really important point, I think. And I think sometimes we focus just on, well, I need to lose weight, I need to be healthy. But what's the impact on the rest of the family, like you're saying, when you're growing up and you have a well. In this case, your mother could be father or, or, or both. Right. 
Yeah. I, yeah, and that's, I love the way you put that because that is so true. She died leaving three little kids around, not, you know, I was 17, but my two younger brothers were much younger, without a father, without anywhere to go. And so what you do in your life has such an impact on other people that you, many of us do not realize this. And I think that's a great, great point, Catherine. Yeah. So let's talk about your blog, too, because you have your book, How to Fight Fat Flammation, which you can buy at bookstores everywhere online. But you also have a blog, right? I do. I have a blog, and it's uh, on my website, drlaurieshemek.com. And I write uh, all about different aspects of health, not just weight loss, but every you know aspect of health. And I also have top experts as well that contribute to the blog. And uh, a lot of people find a, an enormous amount of information that can help you on your healthy journey, actually. Yeah, and you also um, Twitter. I'm, you know, I was looking at your Twitter. You can, you can, what is it? Ask, do, um, ask Dr. Lori. Right. The hashtag Ask Dr. Lori is is there. If you want to ask me a question, my, I'm on Twitter at Lori Shemek, and I have a Facebook page, Dr. Lori Shemek, on Facebook, and you can find me there. And for those that have the book, um, I have created a private group with experts and tips and access to me and others and a great support for those that have the book. It's really creating a lot of success. A lot. It's an amazing community there. Yeah, so, do you have a lot of support yeah. with the medical community or are people yes. kind of like, yeah? I do. In fact, um, the, the book is endorsed by Dr. David Perlmutter, who's a two-time New York Times bestselling author. Yeah, he and was on so, the show here, I think, a couple of years ago. Oh, was ago. he? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, he's so it's there's a lot of support. Um I'll be working with um obesity experts in Chicago coming up to create a plan for uh 10 school districts. And so uh we're it's a very exciting project coming up. So because I you know I would I mean I there are so many diet books out there. It seems oh, that, right. you know, yeah, and it still keeps I don't know. A lot of it keeps coming back to this, just strictly focusing on calories. And right, and, but then there's a you know you talked about earlier. I think the well we've been talking about inflammation of the fat cells, but they also right. talk about now they even test you when you go in yearly for your checkup for inflammation related to heart disease. This whole your whole body, I guess, is unhealthy when the when your cells become inflamed and you touched on that but um, yes it's inf- low level inflammation yeah. is the core cause of most illness disease and faster aging and now we know weight gain as well in the fat cell itself not outside of it but within it so uh, recommendations for people um let's say anybody who's mm-hmm. i mean how do people, I mean, I, I, this is probably my last question because we only have a couple of minutes, but I see people who get up to 250, 300, 400 pounds. How do they do that? Or what, have you had experience with, with uh, I mean, with clients, with patients who can't seem to stop before they get, I can never understand how they wouldn't be able to stop before they get to that point. Um, you know, women, let's right. talk about women in particular, Yeah. Well, a lot of it is emotional, okay, because like I said earlier, they throw their hands up in the air and say, this is my lot in life. And this is a very typical uh, feeling that people feel like, okay, I can't do anything about it. I failed. But the truth of the matter is, is that they don't, if, it's the way we perceive ourselves, our self-perception. And so with this self-perception of, quote, unquote, their perceived failure, then they refuse in, to actually take another step forward when, in fact, if they start looking at themselves in a different light and realizing they have the strength to make changes, then they can move forward. And it takes knowledge. Sometimes it's an addiction to eating, which can be helped very easily with um, um, certain certain supplements and counseling with a weight loss coach, for example. It's all, it all dovetails together. And you mentioned getting the three pounds off. Exercise in that case, and possibly uh, you may be mildly dehydrated, will help you as well. I wanted to get that in there before we, go, we, before we leave. Uh, weight training, strength training, body weight training, anything to encourage muscle mass is going to help boost your metabolism. 
just finishing up with Dr. Lori Shemek, uh, Ph.D., author of How to Fight Fat Flammation. Fat Flammation. Um, you can buy her book at bookstores everywhere. But we were just kind of ending our interview. And so, uh, Laura, you were just talking about this, this works, this program, this three-week program. Well, you have to do more than three weeks if you but um, have 300 pounds to lose. But it works for everybody. You, it, it works for somebody who has three pounds to lose or 200 pounds to lose. Uh, so, um, Absolutely, yes. yes. It does, and um, it's it's about combining all of the components together. And the three weeks, the first week is you're detoxing. The second week, you're adding things in. Third week, you're you're doing great, and it's a wonderful plan that will help quickly lose the weight and create optimal health as well. And it's a plan you can take with you for life. And right. I also wanted to mention the benefit of exercise. And in particular, you want to make sure you keep your muscle mass and encourage more, okay, because that's going to boost your metabolism. A lot of women, in fact, complain about not being able to get past that certain amount of weight. They want to lose weight, say, five pounds or more. And what you want to do is make sure that your muscle mass is uh, – you're creating more muscle mass because that's going to absolutely help promote more uh, weight loss, twenty four seven. You know, we could go on, but mm-hmm. we'll go. We, I'll recommend to listeners buy the book, How to Fight Fat Flammation, and that's Dr. Lori Shemek, Ph.D. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you so much for yep. having me. It was a pleasure, Catherine. It was a pleasure. Great talking to you. We're just going to take a very short break because our next guest is here. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are broadcasting from the Phoenix studios at voiceamerica.com. Variety Channel, Going Global with Gas Man is the show that you are listening to. And joining me today is Sean Morley from the WWE, otherwise known as Val Venus, the big Val Boski. Hello, ladies. <laughs> and he's also got a third identification as well. He Absolutely. is Captain Cannabis. Live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific time on the voiceamerica.com Variety Channel. Going global with gas. Man, how the hell do they know that I got gas? Tune in every week for Sex Out Loud. Host Tristan Termino will discuss everything from sexual pleasure to sexual politics. Get an insider's perspective from leaders in the adult film industry, the LGBT community, and the sex-positive world. From kink to non-monogamy, nothing is off limits. Plus, you can call in to join the conversation. Sex Out Loud airs every Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Michael Gurian, author of Lessons in Lifelong Intimacy, Building a Stronger Marriage Without Losing Yourself, The Nine Principles of a Balanced and Happy Relationship. Michael is a marriage and family counselor in private practice, New York Times bestselling author of 28 books, and he um, 
is the founder of a company he's, which has to do with lessons of lifelong in, intimacy. Uh, during his own clinical work with hundreds of couples, his innovative approach to, and we're calling it attachment theory, and research studies in the neurobiology of pair bonding. He developed a system that can be used by couples and in therapists to strengthen or save relationships. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Michael. Thank you. Thanks so much, Catherine. <laughs> so we're talking about a very innovative approach to, to, I guess, to intimacy, to lifelong relationships, to love. As I understand it from your book, you're saying that one of the things I think the couple strive for is is intimacy, but they're too intimate, too intimate, and that can be destructive in a lifelong relationship. So they need some kind of separate separateness. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, of course, this is starts by looking at neurobiology and sort of looking at the that sort of mouthfeel there, the neurobiology of pair bonding. But to make it simple, it's that the there are, I've identified twelve stages of a pair bond, which is simply a love relationship. So 12 stages of a love relationship or of a marriage. Um, and the brain is trying to get us to stay together. It doesn't mean we will or we should, but the brain is trying to get us to stay together. And our brains are growing, altering, you know, to fit our partner and to fit our, who we are through that relationship. If if we uh, only focus on intimacy, which is what the brain is doing mainly in the first 18 months to two years, in, in that time period, the romance stage, definitely the brain, the soul, the self, the heart, uh, just wants to merge with the other person. And it, and it will, because the pheromones and the hormones will make that happen. Um, but there are 11 other stages of relationship. So, so half of our marriages right now are ending between four and seven years. And um, that's a huge number. And um, so what my research is showing is we're not understanding the separateness part of this attachment of these bonds. And so we're still trying to be merged. We're still trying to be like the romance, uh, but our brains aren't working that way, right? So we're fighting ourselves. So separateness is a, the other side of this equation. It's not saying we shouldn't be intimate. Of course we should. But if we're not separate, the relationship will probably end. So, so then, Mike, we have to decide what the what really defined the intimacy after right. those eighteen months. What it should be, because any therapist, I'm a social worker, you know, therapist, psychologist, right. uh, they're always trying. If you go into therapy or counseling, like helping you to become more intimate, and they really don't talk about very often about separateness. And I, so, and what yeah. are we talking about really yeah. in terms of behavior? Like, what does that mean in terms of the couple after these eighteen months, so they don't get divorced after four? seven years, as you say. Right. Yeah, it's, well, first of all, I think the reason we do do that is, I mean, it, it's all really good. We want to always increase intimacy. So I'm not saying anything negative about that, but I'm saying the intimacy isn't, isn't going to last without the separateness. So what separateness comes in two ways that we can recognize. One is we have our separate domains. So that's in the external world. That's not inside my head, but in the external world. Uh, I have that chapter, you know, on domains and food, shelter, and clothing. Those are things that we power struggle on constantly as couples. So that can be money. Um, you know, it can be child raising. It can be sex. It can be food, shelter, and clothing, these basic things. If we're fighting over those basic things, we probably has, have not understood this domain theory, which is that I need to have, uh, I'm going to assume me and my wife, Gail, so we've been together 30 years. So I need to have my areas that are my areas, and she does not critique those. You know, She doesn't attack me on those. And she has all her areas that are her areas, and I don't attack her or critique her on those. Those are her, her domain. She gives me my domain. So okay, that so one what are thing your right areas? There, Let's, what, like what are yours and what are hers? Let's take yours first. Well, let me do the second part of this. Okay. So the second part of separateness is not external. The, sep the subtle part, the reason I had to write a book on it, is the <laughs> inside the head. Uh, we have to be separate inside our heads from the projections on the other. So when we power struggle, we fight, uh, we have a conflict. Uh, a lot of power struggle and fighting and conflict is projection. So I have a fight with Gail. I argue with Gail. I'm really fighting with my mother or her mother. Right? So this is just basic projection theory, uh, right? object relations and projection. So I project onto her something, uh, an abandonment or a pain and meshment with my mother. I'm battling with Gail, but I'm really um, uh, completely enmeshed with my mother. And so I enmesh Gail. 
And that's the subtle part, and that part obviously is very hard to do in a few minutes. That's the subtle part that um, we got to deal with that one or we will fight until we drop. So going back to the domains, um, yeah, the, it's a, for, for Gail, she kicked me out of the kitchen about five years in. She said, you can't cook, you're terrible, you make fattening food. So <laughs> she kicked me out. So now the kitchen is her domain, except for cleanup. I do the cleanup. But, the, but cooking, anything having to do with food is her domain. Um, my domain is a, like there are many, but one that comes to mind is when we parented, our kids are grown now, but when we parented, I was sort of the strict disciplinarian in the parenting, and she was the more, you know, very more forgiving, let's say. Um, so we sort of kept those domains solid. Uh, so that's, that's the sort of thing we mean. Are those roles, are those rigid roles that you have to take the cooking thing now? The kitchen is her domain, not yours. But kind of take us through that because how i mean maybe there are a different set of circumstances that you know maybe you get to be a better cook for instance maybe for or, or you take a cooking class or you know things evolve things change how do the, so the domains need to change as well right oh well if the, if the two people change the domains no problem but but um it's not really role it's domain uh the she we tend to create we want to create domains based on what's already going on in our heads that, you know, like she's very sensorial. I'm much more thinker, right? I'm much more abstract. Uh, she's more sensorial. So when she cooks, that hour of cooking for her is just joy for her. And, uh, you know, on the nights when she's seeing clients, she's also a therapist, so she'll see clients till 6 p.m. On those nights, uh, we have a little plan in place for what I'm going to make, but often she um, uh, often she cooks something ahead of time because she doesn't. She just doesn't like what I make, and that's absolutely fine. The merging, the problem would be, if I did what I am, what my brain is trying to do, and she was always saying that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. Okay, that will destroy the relationship. Um, but she sets up the cooking world to what she likes and what fits with her diets or whatever she's doing, and I give her that domain. All I am is a supporter. She says, heat this up, I heat that up. Um, uh, no, I don't think we need to say, oh, well, you know what? We have to be the same. In fact, sameness will kill a marriage. Uh, we really do need to be different and give each other their domains and, um, you know, and say, I support you in that domain, and I won't critique that. I'll just support all right, let's talk about the concept because you talk about um, you have to have this, I mean, we're talking about it, but this balance. How do you achieve that balance between the intimacy and separation? How do you do that? An example, a couple, it can be you and Gail or other couples that you've seen in counseling or in therapy. Like, give us a presenting problem and how you would work it out in terms of this paradigm. Yeah. Well, yeah, each chapter of the book takes a couple and follows the couple through the work of that chapter. So, for instance, um, one chapter takes a couple where he's the angry partner and she's the anxious partner. So this is a, this is a, a trend, a pattern that I saw a lot. I've been a therapist now for 25 years, so I see this quite a bit, um, uh, the angry partner and the anxious partner. Now, we want to remember that both those partners are angry and anxious. It's just that one operates more through the anger and one more through the anxiety when they're presenting and even in their power struggle. So he would get angry. Uh, she would constantly be anxious. So their initial, when they presented, they did what almost every couple does, which says he's got a problem. We got to fix his problem and that will fix our relationship. So, um, you know, we obviously work with him on anger, but as a, there was no abuse or anything like that, what would happen is they would get in a dynamic where um, actually she was constantly anxious and she kept trying to get him to change, right? And what she wanted from him was more closeness. So as he would try to get closer, it, it still wouldn't satisfy her. She would want even more. Then she would be anxious because she wasn't getting the closeness that she wanted um, or felt she needed. He would get more and more angry because it was too much for him. You know, he was like, look, this is, this is what I can do right here. That's all I've got. And then he would get angry and push her away. So uh, the separateness is what you know, solved that and kept that marriage together because I helped them, you know, it, there's no soundbite. Obviously, it takes a period of time, but I helped them to, for her to see how anxious she would get and why, what was the abandonment anxiety she was bringing in here, and for him to see how angry he got and why and what was the enmeshment anxiety that he brought 
from his previous relationships, and then gradually over a period of time, they were able to reset their relationship so that the anxiety didn't trigger his anger and his anger didn't trigger her anxiety. You know, enmeshment, I think, obviously, I mean, that's a core or key issue in a couple's relationships. Can we talk about that a little bit more, especially for lay people who really, you know, not professionals who don't really understand exactly what enmeshment is and really how that impacts and really negatively on relationships. Can give us other examples of enmeshment and how destructive it can be. Yeah, I I beg people listening to this show and certainly anyone who reads my book or, or reads and listens to you on any of your work, I beg them when they go to therapists to watch or hear or listen to see if the therapists are using words like abandonment anxiety and enmeshment anxiety if they're helping the you know the couple with their relationship because abandonment anxiety and enmeshment anxiety um, are bedrock for so many power struggles in relationships and abandonment is obvious you know when my partner does blank I feel rejected and abandoned enmeshment anxiety a little more subtle but it's when I my partner does blank um, or does not do blank I try to get even closer um, I try to get more intimacy and more out of this partner. So if my partner says, um, uh, you know, comes home and doesn't say much that, that evening, very tired, uh, enmeshment would be, I just keep coming at her. I just keep saying, um, you know, what, what, what was your day like? Um, I need to tell you about my day, et cetera. And, and uh, let's talk about this. And no, no, stop watching TV. We have to do this. Well, if that goes on day after day after day, I'm probably so enmeshed with my partner that I'm trying to get all or most of my love from my partner. Uh, But uh, the human brain is not set up for that. We are really set up to try to get affection and love and respect and all these needs met through multitudes of people, a community. And if I'm trying to get everything from my partner, then I'm probably enmeshed and I'll I'll probably, you know, will lose that relationship because no human being can satisfy that. So enmeshment is where I'm merged and I, and my, I try to get my partner merged with me psychologically and my whole self hinges on this person's assessment of me in a given moment. Do you think women traditionally have been, do that more than men? Because you do talk about dissimilarities in the male and female brain I want to talk about that because um, but but say in this case that that's a, a more maybe not maybe that's changing but I, and you've been doing this for a long time yeah. so how, yeah. yeah no I hear you totally I thought I I do believe that the intimate separateness paradigm which I think is the bedrock of safe happy marriage I do believe it grew it evolved from our our over the last million years putting the male and the female brain together and I'm not leaving out um, a gay or lesbian couple. I'm actually not doing that here. But, um, you know, 95, 96% of couples generally have evolved heterosexual. And I think that has ruled to a great extent how the brain tries to love. And males do tend uh, after, you know, obviously after the first few years where they're totally merged romantically with their partner. But, you know, five years in, 10 years in, males do tend toward more separateness. Um, not all, because some may, you know, there's always exceptions, but males do tend toward more separateness. They want to kind of set up their own lives and have a secure base uh, to raise their kids in and have love. Um, but they don't tend to be as focused on the daily minutia of the intimacy. Uh, women do tend, with exceptions, toward focusing more. And we think that's because of a number of ways that the brain works differently. And one of them is the cingulate gyrus. This is in the middle of the brain, in the limbic system, and it's the attention, focus, rumination part of the brain. And females have up to four times more activity in that part of the brain and more pathways for that part of the brain to the emotive centers in the brain. So in other words, they're ruminating about emotions more than men in general. So uh, I think this is actually great. Sameness is not required for love to last. I think it's great that, that you know women are trying it their way, men are trying it their way, and we're meeting in the middle um, so that's where I think it came from. So we want to see the wisdom of both. So when, when, if someone comes into therapy, we want to make sure that therapist understands the male brain as well as the women's, uh, as the female brain. Yeah. Well, I guess now we have the tools, actually, you just kind of touched on that, to really look inside the male and female brain and really recognize the differences. We've kind of been, I think, socially or culturally trying to dismiss those differences. Equality in jobs and equality in is is different than the emotional differences. I think we confuse the two, right? And so it, 
yeah, yeah, understanding the differences, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe, you know, you're absolutely right. We sort of carry on a superficial public dialogue that's based on two or three kind of key narrative points. And and the, if we've made an error, in terms of role change, I think we all agree that's wonderful. You know, male-female yeah. role, equality, all, we're all there. We all believe that's wonderful. Um, but in gaining that, we made an error, which is to pretend that gender comes from socialization and um, actually – gender, who we are as male, female, comes from three assets, nature, nurture, and culture. And um, the socialization part may fit the culture and some of nurture, but it doesn't take into account nature. So we, you know, we have PET scans now, SPEC scans, fMRI, uh, we have biochemical analysis, and all of my work um, is, is transcultural. So this book, like all of my books, I'm taking data, uh, brain difference data from 30 cultures, on all continents except Antarctica, um, and I'm using those studies, and I have about a thousand of those on my website. So this is very robust research. There's no reason anymore for anyone not to use it because it's so robust. Uh, on the nature side, the male and the female brain look very different. They do emotions quite differently, and so not to include it, it seems to me, is really sort of, sort of sad. And yep. so I do beg people now to include it, and when they include it, they'll see that that equality does not require sameness. Equality requires respect for differences uh, and respect for sameness when that occurs. But, in, you know, as, you, as every couple knows who's 20, 30, 40 years into this, they know they can't change their partner. So, so <laughs> equality would require us to respect the differences. Yeah, it was interesting as you're talking, and I'm thinking we only have a couple minutes, literally a couple minutes left, but seeing how this all would fit into the whole <clears throat> transgender um, people who are now able to come out as being transgender and talking about the feeling female or feeling male, just feeling it, and, you know, that it, there, there is something there that's um, part, of your, part of your DNA, part of who you are. It's not just something that's learned necessarily, but that's a whole other topic. But so right. your, uh, but your is, website, because uh, yep. I want to know, because you've done a lot of research uh, uh, and uh, a lot of books and particularly, obviously, this one. Uh, so what, Direct us to your website and where we can go to learn more about what you're doing. And um... yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, the I mean, obviously, anyone who's interested, just go right on Amazon, Lessons of Lifelong Intimacy, and just grab it. If you want to learn more about me, go to michaelgurian.com, um, uh, G-U-R-A-N, G-U-R-I-A-N. Uh, so michaelgurian.com, and they'll see more all the tentacles of sort of what I do. Yeah, because and yeah, this is uh, well, this is your latest book, but twenty-eight New York Times bestsellers. <laughs> um, well, not all of them, but not uh, all of them. Some, some of them, them half of them. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Great. Well, it's yeah. been great having you on the show today. Um, lots of good information, and thank you so much. Um, so everybody, go out and buy the book, Michael Gurian, Life Lessons in Lifelong Intimacy: Building a Stronger Marriage Without Losing Yourself: The Nine Principles of a Balanced and Happy Relationship. We're thank gonna, you, Catherine. Thank you. Uh, you've been listening to the Catherine Zock Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Hope you had a great day or a great day with us. Have a good week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zock Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.